calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You are listening to Episode 6 of Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 11, Diurnia Orbital, 2358, July 7th. So, Mr. Huang, Mr. Burnside asked genially as we settled into the wardroom table, What do you think you should do for the next twelve stands? We just relieved the OOD watch and adjourned to the wardroom to grab some lunch. Arletta was undoubtedly headed for a shower in civvies. It was the last night in port. I knew what I'd be doing in her place and wished her luck. I sipped some of the execrable coffee to buy some time to consider. I made quite a production of it, but I really knew what I needed to do. I just didn't want Mr. Burnside to think I did. Well, Mr. Burnside, I began... "'David, please,' he said warmly. "'Well, David,' I continued, "'I really need to get up on the bridge "'and look over the ship's systems. "'I've been reviewing them on my tablet, "'but the larger displays and computing power up there "'should let me get in and give them a good shakedown. "'We're undoubtedly due for a system backup, "'and I'd like to double-check the system's spares.' "'He nodded approvingly. "'Good ideas. "'I'm not certified in systems myself, "'but you're right about the backups. "'We'll leave a set here at the corporate office "'just before we get underway.' I kept my expression attentive. I wasn't sure what the point of an off-ship backup might have served in this situation. If anybody needed that data after we got underway, it would undoubtedly not be anybody aboard the ship. A failure of that magnitude would most likely be fatal. After a moment of shared silence while we ate, he continued, You've reviewed the standing orders for OOD, I assume? Yes, David, I have. Excellent, then. Why don't you relieve me and take over the watch when we get done with lunch? It'll be good for you to have the watch once before we get underway. He paused. You've stood bridge watch, I assume. Oh, yes, many times. Summer cruises are mostly bridge watch, I pointed out. Well, yes, but if they were anything like my summer cruises, he pointed out, you had an experienced officer at hand, so you weren't actually on your own on the bridge. True enough, I admitted. I didn't contradict him in anything. He was going to have to put me on bridge watch and the only question was who and how much babysitting I'd get before they trusted me with the ship by myself. In a lot of ways, being underway was a lot less demanding than being in port. He knew that, of course, but it wasn't my place to point it out. "'Anything else you think we should do this last watch before getting underway?' he asked. I thought for a moment before replying. "'There wasn't anything in the standing orders. I'm assuming that the various ships' stores and services need to be all checked and verified?' 
Excellent, he said, with a broad and patently false smile. Let's pick up here and get on with the watch then, shall we? He suggested. Certainly, I said, stood, collected my dirty dishes and placed them in the tray at the sideboard. I told you you didn't need to do that, Ishmael, David said chidingly. You're going to make the messmates think you're taking their jobs. I shrugged. Old habits die hard, I said as offhandedly as I could. He just tisked and shook his head. A good officer knows when to delegate, he observed. A sound lesson, David, I agreed. Shall we get the watch swapped over then and I'll go up to the bridge? It was funny, really. I felt so off balance until Burnside signed me on to the OOD watch. I'd had my share of them at the academy and in port duty held no terrors. Once the mantle of watchstander fell on my shoulders, it was if I suddenly became centered. I ran through a series of systems queries to check basic ship status from the office while Burnside looked on. He soon grew bored, watching me flick through screens, though, and with an offhand, I'll be in my stateroom if you need me, Ishmael, left me to my own devices. As soon as he left, I shut down the terminal and used my tablet to bip the message of the watch to meet me at the brow, and I headed for the lock. Opponents in the gangway watchstander, Stephen Mallory, if the watch rotor was correct, were waiting for me. They stopped talking as I approached, and Opponus looked as if he'd swallowed something sour. There wasn't a hand's breadth between them in terms of physical build. They were both squat, bull-necked, and broad-shouldered. Opponus looked older than Mallory, although Mallory carried the rank. I wondered if Opponus had lost his stripes somewhere along the line. In my brief time aboard, I hadn't really had time to review the full jackets of everybody on the ship, but I made a mental note that I should do so as soon as I could. Gentlemen, I said, smiling as I approached the station. Mr. Burnside has signed the watch over to me, and I just wanted to check in with you both. I'll be working on the bridge, getting the system's backups going. Is there anything going on in the ship that I should know about? Opponies and Mallory glanced at each other in confusion. Sir, Mallory asked, I've got the watch. I'd like to know if either of you two have seen or heard anything that's going on in the ship that would preclude my going to the bridge. I tried again. Opponis actually sniggered. You're the officer, Sar. Ain't that your job to know? I dredged up my best Alice Jagone stare and leveled it at him. Yes, Mr. Opponis, it is. So I've asked the two crewmen aboard who are tasked with having that information. Your report, Mr. Opponis? My report? He looked confused and a little off balance. Again, he and Mallory exchanged glances. Thank you, Mr. Opponis. That tells me what I needed to know. I turned to Mallory, who was not trying to hide his amusement over his shipmate's discomfort. Mr. Mallory, your report, please. No authorized entry or attempt since I took the watch, sir. The captain and second mate are ashore. First mate, chief engineer, and cargo boss are all aboard. Crew is at liberty until 0900 tomorrow. Thank you, Mr. Mallory, I said. I'll be on the bridge running systems checks and backups. Until chow time, probably. Mr. Burnside has retired to his stateroom, if you'd be so kind as to notify me of anything requiring the O.D.'s attention. You have the watch. Mr. Burnside is in his stateroom. I saw, Mallory replied. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate your time, I said, and turned to head up to the bridge. As I walked away, I could hear Opponis and Mallory carefully not saying anything. When I got to the first dogleg and disappeared from view, I heard Opponis start to laugh. It wasn't a happy sound. I sighed and kept going for the bridge. The bridge wasn't deserted when I got there. I half expected it to be. According to the ship's standing orders, the engineering watch was held in the after-engineering spaces. 
there really was no need to keep a bridge watch with the ship moored, so it was with some surprise that I found Miss Manus, the engineering chief, and an S-2 astrogation with the name De Silva on her suit. They were each sitting at separate stations. Miss Manus had a schematic of the ship up on her screens while I recognized the standard astrogation update screen running on De Silva's. Miss Manus smiled warmly as she saw me step onto the bridge, and De Silva looked up from her screen with a fearful look on her face. She looked confused for a moment, until she realized that she didn't know me, and looked over her shoulder to Miss Manus. "'Mr. Huang, what brings you to the bridge?' the engineer asked. "'I figured that Mr. Burnside would have you reviewing ship's standing orders until we got underway.' The grin on her face indicated that she was amused rather than being critical. "'After last night, he's behaved like I'm his best friend.' He signed over the OOD watch to me and has gone to his stateroom. I turned to De Silva and held out my hand. I don't believe we've met. I'm Ishmael Wong, the new third. She stood at her station to take my hand, very briefly, and to look at me with something akin to astonishment. Benaca Consuela Garcia De Silva, Specialist Second Astrogation, she announced smoothly. I smiled. Nice to meet you, Miss De Silva. Some of my best friends have been astrogators. I nodded at her screen. "'Astrogation update?' I asked. She seemed a bit surprised. I wasn't sure if it was because I acknowledged her work or that I correctly identified what it was. "'Yes, sir,' she said. "'Tedious work, but it needs to be done.' "'You're still cutting and pasting?' I asked. She frowned. "'I don't understand.' "'You've grabbed the downloads, and now you're cutting and pasting the changes into the database?' I restated it. "'Oh, yes, sir. "'Let me get myself settled, Mr. Silva, and I think we can lighten your load on that score at any rate.' I said with a smile. In the meantime, I need to get backups running. Don't let me interrupt anything. She turned back to her station and settled a bit uneasily into her chair. Miss Manus was watching the exchange and winked at me as she went back to studying the screen in front of her. I looked around and identified the main systems console through the expedience of the large label reading Main Systems Console on the cabinet. In a matter of ten ticks, I had the systems backup cycling and went down to the systems vaults under the bridge to load a rack of removable media. Some ships just replicated the system onto a hot backup. That's a separate computer that could be swapped quickly in case of data problems. The Billy didn't have that kind of system redundancy, so it relied on backup drives and removable storage. When I was satisfied that the backups were spooling properly under the removable drives, I went back up to the bridge to check on other systems. They all looked nominal. Communications channels were performing properly. The electronic systems were largely offline at the dock, but what I could see looked fine. I ran a quick scan on the environmental, propulsion, and inboard network status. By the time I got done with those, my console beeped to let me know the first set of backups were done. So I set about securing the logs and checking my own system's updates. With less than a day before we headed out into the deep dark, I wanted to make sure I had my chips in a row. Chapter 12. Diurnia Orbital, 2358, July 7th. The afternoon sped by. Between the systems checks and updates, brainstorming with Ms. Call Me Mel Manus, and all the associated running up and down ladders from the bridge to storage lockers to data closets, I felt like I'd earned my pay. It felt good. At 17.30, I secured my station on the bridge and made a tour of the ship. I pulled up the ship's environmental sensor net and made the rounds as if I were on sensor watch tour. The advantage of that is that the sensor net is uniformly distributed bow to stern. Only the inside of the big cargo pod lacked sensors. It was my first real opportunity to go from bow to stern and examine every area on the ship. There was almost nobody aboard. It was the last night in port on a four-day stay, and everybody who could be ashore went ashore. 
As I strolled through the various passageways and clambered up and down ladders, I found the same level of crud. It wasn't that the ship was filled with trash or anything, but little things like smudged light switches and built-up dirt in the corners and crevices. Almost every handrail on every ladder had some kind of deposit on it. Oil, dirt, paint, something. It was disconcerting. The exception to the rule was engineering. The actual engineering spaces themselves appeared to be maintained at a higher level. The fuse actors, sail generators, and associated equipment were clean and appeared to be in good order. I was no expert, but it sure felt better in those areas. I ended my tour on the mess deck. Dinner had started at 1800, and a couple of ratings were dining in. The mess deck, unfortunately, was a bit the worse for wear. There were sticky spots and deposits on most of the tables. It looked like a lot more than just the normal build-up from an afternoon's import activity. The deck was just short of gritty, and I could see dirt ground into the deck tile. The coffee urns were tarnished and looked like they hadn't been wiped down for a month, and that was just on the outside. I had a feeling I knew where the coffee problems started. Getting them solved might be harder. As in every other ship I'd ever been on, the import dinner mess consisted of a buffet with a hot dish, a soup, a salad, and lots of bread and cold cuts. The two ratings looked up, scowling at me, as I walked along the buffet. I smiled and nodded, ignoring the surly attitudes while becoming more and more disconsolate at the state of the ship. The food on the buffet was adequate. If the bread looked a little dried out, it had been there for a while. The cheese didn't look a lot better, and I didn't want to think about the cold cuts. I refrained from lifting the lid on the soup or the hot dish. The warmers didn't appear to be all that warm, and I didn't want to let any of the heat out. On my way back through the mess deck, I stopped at the table. The two ratings, an able spacer and a spec three from gravitation, both wearing a signature dirty ship suit, stopped and looked up at me. Hiya, I'm Ishmael Huang, the new third mate, I said, and held out my hand to the one with the deepest scowl. She eyed my hand dubiously. Able spacer Juliet Jackson, she said, taking the offered hand briefly, and adding, Sar? I turned to her companion, an olive-skinned man who looked like he'd been beaten recently. He didn't quite flinch when I turned to him, but he didn't look up either. Jin Jiang, he said, and yes, I know I don't look Chinese. I kept my hand outstretched, and eventually he took it, very briefly. Nice to meet you both. You've been aboard long. I turned from one to the other, waiting to see who'd respond first. Jin answered first, but spoke into the tabletop. Stanier, was all he said. It's in my jacket. Jackson said, again with a confrontational expression. I nodded as if we were indeed having a polite conversation. Thank you, I said to her. I'll be sure to look it up. If anything, her scowl deepened, but before she could reply, I breezed on. Well, sorry to interrupt your dinner. Just wanted to say hi. It should be an interesting time in the deep dark. I nodded in what I hoped was a genial manner and left the mess deck. I rounded the corner into the passage and headed for the adjacent wardroom, and I heard Jin say, from sissy to ishi, and chuckle nastily. Jackson replied with a growled, God save me from boot thirds. I kept on going. Either I had really good hearing, or those people wanted me to overhear. And I was pretty sure my hearing wasn't all that good. My timing was perfect, though, and I stepped into the wardroom precisely at 18.30. Mel Manus was there and smiled at me from the sideboard where she was pouring a glass of water. She raised it to toast my arrival, and I smiled back. Mr. Groot not joining us tonight? I asked. 
She shook her head. No, she's gone ashore for one more portside meal before we get underway. David stepped into the wardroom at that point and added, Can't blame her for that. Hope she finds something with some substance to it. Put some meat on those bones. He was smiling, but I got the sense he wasn't really concerned with Mr. Groot's frailness. Mel drank from her glass and frowned slightly rather than respond. He took a plate, rummaged through the buffet, plunked himself down and began eating. Mel and I exchanged a glance and took our own turns at the buffet. As senior officer, she went before me, but waited until I joined the table before beginning her meal. David, for his part, just smirked and continued to eat. The hot dish was some kind of pork and noodles in a savory sauce. Even with my limited exposure to the culinary arts, I could tell this was a simple dish. The flavor of the sauce owed itself more to the pork and a heavy grind of black pepper than any subtlety in the chef's skill. At the end of my second day aboard, I couldn't decide if the food was just bad or if my sensitivity to the ship's odor caused my taste buds to rebel. Whichever it was, I thought I could see a contributing factor to the turnover rate. So how was the afternoon watch, Ishmael? David asked. Run into anything unusual? Operations normal, I replied, keeping my tone carefully neutral. Mel shot me a glance across the table but didn't say anything. How did you spend the time? he asked, pressing me for details. I went up to the bridge to get the system's backups run and to make sure all systems and comms updates are installed. I did a tour of the ship and met some more of the crew just before dinner. He made an exaggerated, I'm very impressed face, which did little to actually convey the idea that he might have been impressed. And did you find anything interesting? He asked. I considered my answer carefully. I'm new here, I finally said. It's not my place to judge. I can't tell what might be interesting or not. I'm still working on the context. Context, he asked curiously. You're working on the context? Mel looked interested, but didn't give me any hint that I'd overstepped my bounds. Yes, I said. Every ship has a context. The ship, the crew, the officers, the cargo, the way it's run. All those things combine to create a unique context, almost a culture, wherein everybody understands their roles and positions, their responsibilities and benefits. David's eyes had glazed over, but Mel was trying not to grin. And your assessment of our context so far? David asked. I'm still working it out, I said. I'm in no position to make any real summary assessment yet. I'm a boot third and his second day aboard. What I know about this context wouldn't fill a teaspoon. Mel arched an eyebrow in my direction and a small smile went behind her glass. I shrugged very slightly in return and returned to my pork and noodles. David looked truly amused at my turn of phrase and finished clearing his plate, chuckling periodically and wiping the china clear with a bit of bread, which he tucked neatly into his mouth. Chewing thoughtfully, he pulled his coffee cup nearer and scanned the table, looking for the absent coffee. Davies, he called. Coffee is customary with the evening meal. In less than a tick, the same girl burst through the door with a silver pot in her hand. Sorry, Mr. Burnside, she said contritely. He scowled at her and pushed his cup to where she could fill it. She had to step up close to him to reach it, but she took the hint and leaned over to pour. She frowned a little in concentration, making sure not to spill it. As she was pouring, I could feel Mel stiffen in her chair. I glanced over to her, and she was studying her plate as if looking for a new subatomic particle. Her neck was reddened up behind her ears, but she sat very still. If I'd had to guess, I'd have said she was angry. That was curious, and I glanced back to the steward pouring the coffee. Yes, she was pouring from the wrong side, but what caught my eye was a flicker of movement lower down. 
From my angle, I could see David Burnside's hand caressing the back of Davy's thigh, all the way up to her butt. He wasn't looking at Davy's or even at me. He was staring at Mel while he did it, and it was obvious from the angles that he'd intended for her to see. Davy's, for her part, reacted not at all. She finished pouring the cup, placed the pot on the table, and stepped back. "'Sorry to be late, Mr. Burnside,' she said contritely, and turned to leave the wardroom. David picked up the coffee and took a sip. "'So what else did you do this afternoon, Ishmael?' he asked blandly. "'I spoke to a number of the crew. Opponents finds me humorous and seems not to have a firm grasp on the duties of a messenger,' I said lightly. Mel looked at me sharply, but David just stared blandly. "'Really? I've had no problem with his performance. Could you be more specific?' Mel shook her head. Just a little bit. I took the hint. I just asked him if there were any issues I needed to be aware of before I went to the bridge to work. He didn't seem to understand the question. Mr. Mallory provided an excellent synopsis of the situation, however. It was fine. David nodded as if he'd actually heard and understood what I just said. I don't even think he heard me. Excellent, he responded. Well, I'll leave you to get on with the watch. I'll be in my stateroom if you need anything, he said with a smile. With that... He pushed his plate back from the edge of the table, took another sip of coffee, and stood to leave. Amelia, he nodded his farewell, and she nodded back without speaking. We ate in silence for another tick or two after he left. Then Mel shot me a glance out of the corner of her eye. Context, she asked softly. Yes, I replied, context. It's important to understand the context if one wants to effect a change. And do you want to effect a change on the William Tinker? she asked softly. Don't you? I asked back with a pointed look at David's empty chair. She shrugged a reluctant agreement before looking back at me. What do you want to change? she asked curiously. Well, as I said before, I'm new. At the moment, there's a lot I don't understand. Such as, she pressed. Why the crew is almost universally in dirty ship suits, for example? Why almost every deck in the ship is cruddy for another? Your engineering spaces are not that way, by the way, I noticed. She smiled. They better not be. After a few heartbeats, she asked, What else? Why the food is so bad? I understand cooking on a budget, and I sure know that import meals aren't generally high on the list, but this stuff is only marginally edible. And the coffee, gods, the coffee is disgusting. A short laugh exploded from her in a gust of breath. Well, you don't pull any punches, she said. How do you intend to deal with these issues? I don't know, I confessed. I haven't even met the captain yet. It may be that he likes it this way, and I'd be an idiot to go against the captain. As long as you recognize that much, you should be okay, she said with another smile. I'm green, Mel, I said with an answering grin of my own, but I'm not totally stupid. She chuckled. I'm glad to hear it, Ishmael. I'm very glad to hear it. Thanks for listening to Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. The music is a medley of jigs, eavesdroppers, both meat and drink, and Off We Go by Great Big C from their self-titled debut album. Find this and other songs by Great Big C at music.podshow.com. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com.